Hello, hello. We are live with uh, the Christian artist. And I got a joke for you guys. Um, I think it's, it's pretty funny. So, what's a missionary's favorite kind of car? You guys know? No. A convertible. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. I don't think I can be on the Christian artist today. <laughs> so, we're here with the Christian artist. And uh, my name is Caleb. And Connor's not even here. And I didn't even do that right, so let's let's back up real quick. Because I have a specific way that I was supposed to say this, and of course I just didn't do it. Because Connor wasn't there, so I, I was just very, very thrown off by all of that. So this oh, is the, the theme. <laughs> this is... This is the Christian artist honoring Christ through creativity. My name is Caleb. My name is Connor. And I'm Carly. And we're here once more. Uh, on ye old Christian artist, and we're talking about what, guys? Soteriology. Woo! Which is study of salvation. Yeah. Uh, so why would we study salvation? I mean, it's just like you you hear the gospel and you're saved, right? Like there you go. That's it. That's all you gotta. No, that no. no. <laughs> Carly shaking her head. No. Okay. What? Well, there's more to it than that. I thought you just had to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, once again, I feel like I have to leave. Um, <laughs> no, of course, that's 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 not all there is to it. Uh, I just want to give a shout out before we get started in earnest here to my good friend Seth in chat. Um, not the two Seths you might be thinking about, but the Seth from uh, G3. That follows me on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Hello. He's, he's stopping in. In, in chatting and stuff so we're we're talking about soteriology and so i decided to do the thing that i usually do and get an outline from the internet okay and this outline is something that i've already kind of uh um what's the word i'm looking for um spelled out without having to look up this list uh, but i thought i thought it'd be a good thing to just go through if, if we're talking about salvation to the way we would just go through that as an outline is just go through the order of salvation, um, mm -hmm. right? The ordo salutis, as it's called in Latin. That's what um, I figured you're going to do. Are you on yeah. Ligonier Ministries? No, right now I'm on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, Wait, you got an order of salvation list from Wikipedia? Yeah, they have a, this actually kind of <laughs> interesting. They have, um, what is it? Five different schemas here. Oh, uh, what? Who, who like different how different people view the order of salvation so they have calvinist a modified calvinist which which switches around faith and regeneration um the classical arminian lutheran and the roman catholic schemes of salvation so uh that's that's pretty interesting but so we're gonna go through i mean big spoilers here guys uh we are all hardcore five point calvinists so <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're gonna talk about like yeah um, we don't find any biblical Carly, justification. Are you, are you a five point or are you a four point? Yeah. Like a year ago, I was a four point, but yep. okay. now I'm five. <laughs> we got her. Yep. We got her. <laughs> what do you mean we got her? <laughs> I mean, we is in the body of Christ acting as the hands and feet of jesus to bring her to sanct through sanctification no jesus did it that's, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna continue with that heretical <laughs> sentence i don't think there was even a like i don't think we even tried to convince her to be a five-point calvinist as far as i'm concerned no, i mean not specifically i didn't like right. 
talk to Carly. Like after a show, is like Carly, listen, we need to talk about this. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I no, just... I was very like once I figured out that Calvinism was a thing, and I started to realize that a lot of it was biblical. I like I knew that eventually I would get there. I just wasn't right. there yet. A year ago, I was right. like, right now this is where I'm at. But I right. knew that eventually, as I studied more and heard more perspectives on it, I would I would be at full five points. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely how I felt too. Right? Like it was it was very much a, like a thing where I'm like, <sighs> intellectually, I know that I am eventually going to be a five point yeah. Calvinist, <laughs> but I don't quite understand the the limited atonement thing yet. So I'm just gonna yeah. like not talk about it <laughs> until i read more and understand this um so so as a little preface then to this whole yeah, thing especially because we just started off by by exposing ourselves as as calvinists mm -hmm. you know most people are going to listen to this and be like well i don't agree with that and they're not going to listen to yeah. it so let's let's just uh throw the gauntlet down and just give a challenge of um listen to the rest of this and wrestle with it rather than just mm -hmm. um ignoring it mm-hmm mm-hmm uh, there should never be a, a, a point of theology or a, a section of theology or someone's idea of theology that you ignore um, because theology is not like an infection. Like if you hear somebody's theology that you strongly disagree with, you're not going to be like accidentally converted. Um, so you don't have to be afraid of hearing other people's theology. So definitely I would challenge you to just um, wrestle with scripture um, because clearly that's what we all have done. And that's why we all came to um, this conclusion is because we wrestled with scripture. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. We don't, we don't come as the, the, the famous John Piper uh, tends to say, we don't come at scripture with a system trying to fit the Bible into it, but rather just right. read the Bible and mm -hmm. the system will develop. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's inevitably what happens here. Um, because of one point of the salvation order, uh, which is, you know, this thing called sanctification, um, mm -hmm. God works on our hearts and helps us to see that maybe we were wrong <laughs> about things. And as we continue reading the word, we'll continue growing in that sanctification. And that doesn't mean that we'll all have perfect theology by the time we die far from it. But uh, God's grace is big enough for that, too. So. So um, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead, go ahead and just list the order real quick, just beginning to end. And then we'll pick it apart and go through each of these these um, uh, bits and bobs. So <clears throat> the uh, order of salvation, as scripture presents it, is as follows. First, predestination. Second, election. Third, calling. Fourth, regeneration. Fifth, faith. Sixth, repentance. Seventh, justification. Eighth, adoption. Fourth, sanctification. Fifth, perseverance. And last, but certainly not least, glorification. So, with any study of salvation, of course, as Calvinists, you got to talk about predestination. <laughs> so what does it mean? What is what is predestination, guys? What's I mean, what's the Bible verse that you should go to with this whole thing? The Bible verse? You know, one of the Bible verses. Uh, I would say Ephesians one and Romans eight, twenty eight through thirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good places to start. So let's go to let's start with Romans. Um 
probably the most um, direct verse on this. So it says in Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's 29 and 30. Um, AKA so, the golden yeah. chain of redemption. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got that good old golden chain of redemption, right? So it's that's important. And we'll come back to that later, I'm sure. Um, it's important that all of those are logical steps that will necessarily follow. Mm-hmm. Um, when one happens, all of them will inevitably happen. And that's important for... Um, scripture's view of salvation and the way that we should view salvation so for those whom he foreknew the he obviously in this instance is god for those whom he god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son what does that mean so let's Okay, so let me let me preface all of this with something as well. Um, this is something that we talked about at the student leader meeting yesterday, and I've just been thinking a lot about. Um, when you read your Bible, you don't interpret it, and I think that's really important to to um, talk about, especially if we're going through an order of salvation, picking specific verses and saying, you know, this is our yeah. um, soteriology mm-hmm. is if we're really being honest about this, we don't think this is our soteriology. We agree with it, but it, we don't think it's our soteriology. We think this is the Bible's soteriology. This is not an interpretation of ours. This is what the Bible says. And I think that's very important to understand is when you read your Bible, you don't, you don't interpret it. If you interpret it, that means you're filtering it through your mind or your preconceived system. And when we're talking about these things, we don't, we're not trying to interpret the Bible. We're trying to understand it. So then go ahead and say what you're going to say, Carly. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that, um, um, the part of the verse where he says, um, to be conformed to the image of his son, I'd say that that's, um, sanctification because that's, that's the ultimate goal of sanctification to be conformed into the image of Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And then pre, but predestined right. the idea of pre, being predestined he talks about for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Mm-hmm. So most people will try to say predestination just means that God knew that we were going to choose him yes. and then he chose us. The problem is, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, Mm -hmm. saying that predestination is not the same thing as foreknowing something. It is to destine it before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) To destine, yeah. Um, Right, and so, so to my sorry my mind is is like at zero percent right now because i've I've been going all day um but just to yeah jump off of that connor um right for those who he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so um the the reason that foreknew doesn't mean those whom he foreknew would repent and believe right so like as if god looked through the quarters of time and was like ah this person's gonna choose me and this person's gonna choose me so i'm gonna foreknow them even though 
that's not what like it's it's a, there, there's a couple things wrong with that but the, the first being the first thing wrong with that is that that you're just saying that god learned something um when that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and that's that's like a heretical thing to say because uh yeah. god is omniscient he knows everything um i was actually just listening to an episode of apologia and they were talking briefly about this apology radio and and uh jeff actually no i was listening to cultish that's what it was um and uh, uh pastor jeff was saying um that uh there was like you right now listening to this podcast god predestined yeah. that you would listen to this <laughs> yeah. uh, that you would hear me saying these exact words right now and he didn't he, like he had already known knew them and decreed it before the foundation of the world like this exact moment um and that's important to remember because if we there there's there's some really slippery slopes that can develop when you try to justify or qualify or dance around the fact that foreknowing and predestining are just god said it god wrote it in like this this piece of history that was going to happen your salvation from the beginning of everything but from before the beginning of everything and that's why it happened not like ultimately right there can be all sorts of other secondary causes for things happening obviously as the order of salvation gets into um but the ultimate cause for your salvation is that god before time even began predestined that he would save you he he knew that you would exist because he was planning to make the history that would create you right and he predestined that you in particular and all of the other people who make up the church would be saved from their sin which he already knew was going to happen because he was going to create adam um, and he knew that was going to happen and he created it knowing that he was setting this chain of events in motion, not only setting it in motion, but also decreeing that it would be in motion in those exact ways. And each moment would happen exactly as he declared it would. Uh, scripture says he declares the end from the beginning. Um, that's uh, everything, <laughs> right? I can't think of a thing that's not in there, uh, right? The end, the, the beginning from the end. Um, yeah, it's the beginning from the end. That's how he said it. Um I said it the opposite way on accident. Um, but right, so that's that's the beginning. Um, and foreknowing, I think, is something that we often think of in this weirdly abstract light where it's just like, yeah, like he knew about this thing that was going to happen in the future. It's like, obviously, okay, he, he knows it. But that's not really, like, that's that's a pretty abstract way of looking at that word in this particular, like, phrase. He, for those whom he foreknew. It's not just talking about some sort of like kind of distant like God knew had a knowledge of you as a person, right? For the the person who's going to be saved, He knew you, as in He He knows every single intimate part about you. He created you. He de He predestined that He would save you, and He uh, it's, you know it says in Scripture, I uh, you knew me before I was in my mother's womb. You you knit uh, knit my parts in the secret place. Those sorts of things, right? Like God intricately knew you in this sense that he would save you, right? Like he knew you as his bride from the moment he decreed this, right? It wasn't just like, I knew about you. He knew you in a very intimate way that like designates you, the saved person, right? As a person who would be saved as opposed to the non-saved person who would not be saved and would continue in the rebellion willingly against God and God wouldn't rescue them from that, um, right? Those are the two separate categories of humanity.
<laughs> um, but right, so he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, right? There's no other way in which he predestined you. Um, there's, I mean, in, in this passage, right? It's saying he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So not only did he know that, that like you are a saved person and you're going to be saved, you are one of the elect, you are one of the um, sheep that is going to be lost and I will find, as it says in John 6 and other places in John. Um, but, right, it says uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He, he From the very beginning, before the beginning, I keep saying that, he destined you to be conformed to the image of his son, which can only mean one thing. You're saved, right? That can only mean one thing. You are going to undergo the process of sanctification and justification and all of all the other parts of salvation. He predestined that it would happen. Um, that means you can't stop it. Right? Like you as a person, you can't say no, God, you didn't pre you can't you can't do that. I reject your predestination. You can't do that. That's not how this works. Um, thank goodness we can't. <laughs> yeah, and thank goodness we can't, right? Because then all of us would not be saved. Every single one of us. And so before we get too far into this, the, the reason that this is so important to understand the rest of Scripture is that if this isn't true, then we don't serve God. The God of the Bible doesn't exist. If this isn't true, if this isn't how salvation works, if God didn't decree all of history from beginning to end and have every single moment laid out exactly as he wanted them to, there can only be two possible other options. Or actually, no, there are only two options in, term, in terms of, there's, there's not three options, there's two options. One is that, right? One is, okay, our God, the God of the Bible, decreed every single moment of all of history. Or... Two, open theism, which basically means God didn't know. He had to look into the through the corridors of time and learn something else. You can't have it both ways. There are, there are many uh, people who uh, uh, claim to an Arminian view of salvation, which is basically like um, you can reject salvation. Um, this idea that you know God predestines you to only if you, he looked in the corridors of time and, and saw that you would choose him, that sort of thing, right? And we can, like, reject his calling, reject his the the, um, the Holy Spirit's um, working on our lives. Um, but the only way that makes sense consistently um, is if God... And we can still have the God of the Bible, right? This, this idea of, like, a God who is supposed to be loving, is supposed to be, like... Of these, all of these other things that scripture talks about. Um, the only way that makes sense is if God didn't know and he was somehow powerless to stop people from like rejecting him. Because there's a, there's a certain view of like the Arminian view of this, right? Where predestination isn't what scripture seems to, to claim it is that says, um, right? God lets people choose him or the world, right? And so like, but, but then we're, they're still claiming that God is a good God who, very specifically, this is the Arminian God, who loves every single human being and wants them to come to be saved, right? That's, that's the picture of God that we have from, from, from most of evangelicalism these days, right? God wants everyone to be saved, and he hopes really hard that you will choose him. The issue with that is that 
if God created the world and still knew everything that was going to happen, right? So if we, you don't want open theism because we always we, we know that's heretical. You can't have a God who's not omniscient. But if you still want a God who gives you a choice, then you're saying that that God, the God who loves everyone and wants everyone to be saved but doesn't make it happen, right, definitively, you're saying that that God chose to create a universe knowing all of the still knowing all of the things that would lead up to people rejecting him and chose the universe out of all the possible universes he could have made he chose the universe in which not everyone is saved when he could have chosen a universe in which everyone was saved if god wants everyone to be saved why didn't he choose to create the universe in which everyone of their own free will chose to be saved why did he choose the one in which most of humanity up to this point has rejected christ has rejected God and has gone to hell for all eternity. That doesn't sound like a very loving God to me, right? If he had the option, if he still knew, and so you only have two options, really, to be consistent with what the scripture teaches or to, you know, reject what, what scripture teaches, but you have to be an open theist. You have to say, okay, well, God ha couldn't know because otherwise he wouldn't be loving, right? If he, he, he had to not know that these people would would choose him or not choose him and so he had to just like hope right and cross his fingers the whole time and be like i hope these people choose me um which isn't the god that scripture gives us um or we have the god of the bible who decreed every single thing from all of human uh, from all of eternity every single thing that ever happened and and this is where we get into the the, the hard the hardest part of all of this salvation stuff and chose specifically that some people wouldn't be saved right those are the options we have before us. One of them, only one of them gives you the God of the Bible. Only one of them gives you a God who is omniscient and and all-powerful. Only one of them. The other ones, and, and like all-loving, right? And who is actually a loving God. Only one of them. In 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 one, you have a God who is not all-knowing all and not all-powerful, but you know he's still loving, but he can't do anything about it. In another one, you have a God who is all-knowing and supposedly all-powerful, but is evil enough to choose on his own accord a universe in which not everyone is saved. Or you have a God who created humanity and to show all of his glory and all of his attributes, grace, mercy, love, justice, wrath, to humanity and display his glory mo most fully to all of creation chose from the foundation of the world that there would be an elect people of god who would have his unconditional love forever and ever and would never fall out of his hand and would come to him indefinitely and would would not have uh um not be able to reject him but would be completely saved def definitively from their rebellion when we didn't want god he would he would uh cause us as it says in scripture to obey his statutes he would he would change our hearts make us into new people and so we would want to come to him and then he would leave the rest of humanity who are willingly still willingly rejecting him in their sin and then give them what they deserve which is justice and wrath that's the god of the bible rant over <laughs> do you have anything to add to that carly not immediately no 
So, so two things then. So, um, first of all, when you're, when you're reading this passage, okay. When you're reading Romans eight, 28 through 30, and you get to something that says for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Okay. And you were talking about this a little bit earlier. People try to dance around it. Okay. Here's the question. Why do you want to dance around it? Mm-hmm. When you, when you read a passage of scripture, what doesn't it line up with another part of scripture or it doesn't line up with your preconceived notion of who God is. Yep. Do you see the problem there? So when when you're reading your Bible, you're not you're not looking to learn what you want to learn from it. You're looking to glean truth from it and let that change your mind and affect you. So um, so with as with as much um, grace as I can possibly portray, in that God was patient with us when we didn't believe these things, you know, we want to make sure that we, we display the same level of patience and grace. Not that we can display the same level of um, (laughs) grace and patience as God, but that, that, that is our goal, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But while saying that, while saying, obviously, you know, wrestle with this, you know, Christians need to be patient with other Christians when they don't believe the same things. Um, and to give you grace of being like, yeah, okay. You, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you need to work on some things, but let me definitively say as well and boldly say, if your belief of God is not that of the Bible, then that's something you need to repent of because that's called idolatry. You're, you're making up a God in your head that is not the God of the Bible and that is sin. So with as much love and grace as I can possibly muster, you know, this is a, a rebuke cult of repentance to anybody who may be listening to this and does not agree with this passage. Because if you're reading a passage and it bothers you, that's okay. Now, if you're reading a passage and it bothers you, so you're trying to figure out how it cannot bother you, that's when there's a problem. You have to let the bother, you have to let the Bible bother you sometimes because mm-hmm. it should bother us because if it, the Bible never bothered us, that means we're perfect. Or, so or we okay. wrote the Bible. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> right. So, make sure if we that wrote the Bible. We'd have to be perfect. Exactly, we'd be God. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, make sure that when you yeah. read passages like this, you're just yeah. That's one thing that when I because my family used to go to a Assemblies of God Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. and it was very Arminian, and so I grew up <laughs> that way. But I I was never like taught Arminianism. I was just taught oh the Bible teaches that we have a free will and, and all of that stuff. I had never even heard the words Arminian or Calvinist. Um, but then I like, um, I, I remembered listening to the episode you guys did a while ago on the sovereignty of God. And, and I was very confused by that episode at the time because I, I was not familiar with the ideas at all, but they didn't Mm. stick for a while after. Um, But then once I started to get more familiar with Calvinism and what it actually um, laid out, like as far as like, these are things that the Bible teaches and this is what Calvinists believe. I was like, this is not what I've been taught my entire life, but this seems Mm -hmm. a lot more biblical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whenever people say things like we have free will and we we could get into that. I don't know if we want to or not, but Um, we should get into it when we get into the later part of this order of salvation, when it comes up that, that will be a thing. I'm sure. So, so just real quick, whenever somebody, 
in in youtube says like oh you know we have free will it's, it's a very natural thing for us to do as it christians is. when when we come to a problem we're just like oh well god gave us free will and yet nowhere in the bible does it ever say not only those words but does it ever imply that god gives us a choice that is over his own mm-hmm. yes so See, we that's, never... the, that's the important distinction there yeah. the bible offers us all sorts of choices right it says choose for for yourselves who you will serve this day right but okay. it never gives us a choice that overrides God's choice, right? Mm-hmm. It, God is portrayed, and this, we can get into this just briefly, but this idea of free will is totally misconstrued from what it meant when Calvin and Luther talked about these, these topics, right? So when people say free will today, they mean the freedom to choose whatever they want. Mm-hmm. When Calvin and Luther, the reformers right talked about this this concept and really systematized all of this stuff from scripture um they they meant free will as in you had the freedom to a free will was someone who had the freedom to choose god a bond a bound a bound will a captive will which is what all of us are before god opens our hearts and and, and that's ephesians chapter two right we all have a captive will before that, and we can't choose God on our own accord because mm-hmm. sin, because of sin. And it, and it talks over and over and over and over in John 6 and um, other places in John, um, other places in Romans, all of these things, right? Like that we are completely depraved. We're stuck in this sin. Um, it says in the Gospels, right? Like, um, can a bad tree bear good fruit? No, a bad tree will bear bad fruit and a good tree will bear good fruit. It's it's a parable about the human heart. If we're st- stuck in a rebellion, if we're if we're um, not rebor- born again, as, as scripture says, then we are will only produce bad fruit. Repentance and faith are good fruit. We can't produce them on our own. And so God has to change us first. Right. And so, yes, we, we have a free will in as far as we can make any decision that we want to mm-hmm. emphasis on the want to. But mm-hmm. the problem is our our desires have been enslaved by sin. We only want yeah. sin. And so God has to free our wills with his own perfect free will. Who is He's the only one who do, actually has a free, a perfectly free will because not only does he have um, the, the ability to choose whatever he wants, but he also has the power to carry out any action that he desires. Or we do not have either of those things as fallen creatures. And so God has to act first for any of this to make sense. Yeah. The 10 second version of that is somebody said this recently at youth group. He said, well, God gave us free will. And I said, no, he did not. He was like, what? And I said, okay, so two things. Um, have you ever wanted to teleport somewhere? Uh, yeah. Could you? No. So you can't do whatever you want. Can you? No. And then, um, then the other thing is, is just now, um, Ephesians two says we're also enslaved to sin. We don't, our, our, our will is held captive. That's, that's the 10 second version of that. Um, just recently. Yeah. So not this Thursday, but the Thursday before that, when we were out at whitewater, somebody said that to angel said, Oh, you know, we, but we have free will. And he said, no, we don't. Ephesians two says that we're enslaved to our sin. And, yep. and she was just like, Oh, huh. Oh, I'll have to think about that one. And just, <laughs> and just like, walked away. And it was like, Oh, all right. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. And fun. so that's right. This is important because like pe- when people say free will, what they're really saying is that everyone has a choice t- between good things and bad things. Yep. But the Bible says absolutely nothing 
yeah. about that. It doesn't even never implies it once. Um, it says you need to choose good things. Mm-hmm. You should choose good things. But it never says we can choose good things. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, it says we can't. It says without God, we can't choose good things. And so God Romans has say, to help us. Romans say, yeah, those I was going to say, please God. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, if we could choose between good and bad, we would always choose bad. Right. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. But, uh, so are you are you claiming that Adam inevitably would have choose, chosen a bad bad thing? No, I just mean as fallen humans. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We would course. inevitably yeah, choose yeah, yeah. bad. Right. Um, but yeah, because we're enslaved to sin. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that we can't do good things in terms of like technically obeying God's mm-hmm. just statutes, right? Right. But that doesn't mean we're pleasing him and doing them. Right. A non-Christian can save themselves for marriage, but they don't do it in faith. And if they're not doing yes. it in faith, it is sin. Yes. Uh, that's yeah. Romans okay. 14. But anyway, this, these are some tangents that we, we should uh, get off of and uh, go through the order of salvation more um, fully. Yeah. So just one more thing in yep. evangelism is uh, Psy 10. I watched his, we watched his movie again for student leaders, uh, How to Answer the Fool. And at the very end, he's preaching the gospel to this kid. And he says, now in the Bible, they're, they're called sheep. There are sheep and there are goats. And goats never turn into sheep. Yep. <laughs> Um, the Bible says in, in that, um, my sheep will hear my voice, but goats never turn into sheep. Yep. So I hope that you're a sheep because if you're a goat, this is going to be really bad for you. Mm-hmm. And that's how we left it. And if, if we preach the gospel more like that, it'd make a lot more sense to people. Yeah. It honestly would. Um, yes. So predestination, right? Before the foundation of the world, um, God, freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass um it's from the westminster confession of faith um but so that that's that's true right so that's the first thing that happens in this order of salvation before anything happens in actual history god's like all right i am choosing my church right i know the sheep and the sheep will know me um and then election right so that those are both in the same same thing right so predestination god predestines all of history election god specifically chooses a group uh, uh, you know all of uh, all of us and the you know the group of us as a whole um to a particular relationship right this this relationship as the church as his bride and uh elects us to eternal life so then we get history right history well, unfolds. Let, me just, let me just address yeah. the uh that idea too for our audience uh-huh. If, if you do not believe what we're teaching about predestination and election and the proof text for it, what do you do with those words? Yes. I've never, ever heard somebody give another place. view of what those words mean. Not a they consistent always say, one. Well, right. No, I, I've honestly never heard somebody say they mean anything else. Oh, I, I have. So so most of the people's arguments, if they if they ever try to re, reorder them, is um, God elects us to... Um, uh, like, uh, like Alexis for sanctification. No, Alexis to, um, like jobs as a, as opposed to like salvation. Right. So when it says, um, uh, let me, let me find the specific. What's in Ephesians? Ephesians one. I can see where people get 
can yeah so it's basically the idea is that he it's like four christians who would already have chosen him right their argument is he elects them to certain positions to certain um careers to certain offices to certain like jobs right um, within the Christian life, so when they when they look at predestined us for adoption to himself, uh, or, or, or sorry, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, um, their right. their it's, argument it's right is really that good. he he chose the people who had already chosen him specifically that we should be blame holy and blameless, right? So he didn't choose that we'd be saved, but he did choose choose that the people who would be saved by choosing him would be holy and blameless that's usually the kind of like weird dancing they do around that Sounds right so okay redundant. yeah it's <laughs> and then you get to verse five and it says he predestined us to adoption as sons through jesus christ to himself <laughs> yes. according to the intention of his will to the praise and glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved not we freely received it he freely bestowed on us but again i think they they would probably say again right like god God pre- predestined us for adoption, the people who already chose, who had already chosen, right? Th- these are like specific parts of salvation that they try to dance around and say, right? So the, right. that first one is sanctification, right? So those who would freely choose him, he would make sure that they would be sanctified. But then also those that freely chose him, he would choose to adopt, you know, choose to adopt. But again, it's just, it, it, it it's stretching the text too far. It's ignoring most of the context of, sovereignty of god that is given yeah no let's just let's just say this right now there is no reason for that to be in the bible then right it's so redundant that's it doesn't it doesn't matter why would paul say it yeah it doesn't teach us anything it doesn't say anything to us um this yeah, is you, not... you look at the language that Paul uses right to the praise of his glorious grace which yeah. he has right. blessed us in the beloved why would it matter yeah if it was just like Mm-hmm. This this seems like yeah it it's okay so so an orphan comes up and 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 says to to some guy hey I'm gonna be your son and and then he says yes and it's like wow that guy is awesome it's, it's that's that's kind of what it's saying is is this person is saying yeah I'm going to be your son you don't really get a choice in the matter I'm going to be your son and then he says. Oh, and yes, I accept you because you did that. I mean, not even not only that, it's also God being like, please accept me. Right. And then right. once you do, it's like, yes, finally, I can give you all this stuff. Right. Where where is where does this give him praise? Where does this magnify or glorify God? Yeah. It is not showing that he is he is loving, because if he is all powerful, he should just change the heart of that person. Um in in First Kings or Second Kings is a verse that says he directs uh the the heart of the king like a water course wherever he pleases if he has the power to direct people's hearts and he chooses not to do that then you've got a god who's not loving yeah mm-hmm. or or a god who's yeah if he chose to do that or if he, if he can't do that somehow because of some arbitrary limit that he's imposed on himself then he's made himself like not powerful which is right. dumb instead <laughs> we have of the bible is not that pathetic no that, like you know god. classic james white quote you know jesus is not a weak beggar he is a powerful yeah, savior powerful and the gospel savior. is not a suggestion it's a command right. a command yeah. yeah now now to clarify that technically in our eyes god does that he has the power to change people's hearts and he chooses not to. Yes. And that is because he has a free will. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That not, that is a loving God because he loves people for sure. He loves his children, but he loves his glory more. And that's what we have to mm-hmm. understand when we come to these things is the greatest love of God is not to people. It's not. It's it's first to himself. And that can sound prideful. Specifically to his son. Yeah, specifically to his son. The perfect holy love within the Trinity. Now, you can say that that's not loving all you want. Or you can say that that's prideful and arrogant. But who deserves it? Yeah, that's that's the, that's what it comes glory. down to. Yeah, mm-hmm. Who deserves um, anything is God. And so when God says, I'm going to bring glory to myself by showing my justice and by showing my love, and I'm in control of all of these things, that's a loving God. That's a good God that I want to serve because he's in control. Mm-hmm. He is good and he is totally beyond my comprehension. Yeah, I think it's, it was um, John Piper. I think it was in the Calvinist movie. There was a clip of it or it was somewhere else that I saw it where he was saying um, like one of the most like resounding powerful statements in the Bible from God is I love my glory. And, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and like throughout my journey kind of like coming to the realization that Calvinism is biblical is, has been like, why wouldn't this be true? Because not only do I see it in scripture, but this is what would bring God the maximum amount of glory. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's the most important to God. And um, like in, at the end of uh, Mission Accomplished, the, the song from Shailin that's about limited atonement, um, he says, it's all about bringing God the maximum amount of glory. And that's, that's always resonated with me as like, this is why these things are so amazing. And the fact that they're true is like so extremely powerful because it brings God so much glory that how could we even argue with it? Yeah. And, and usually people's counter argument to that will be like, but wait a second, doesn't scripture say that like God loves everyone and God is love. So like, how can he like, but, but they're making statements that scripture doesn't make, right? right. They have a, an underlying assumption that God somehow unconditionally agape loves everyone, which right. is not true. This, this is, this is what we would challenge you to do. Um, go find verses in the Bible where, where God says he loves every individual. Okay. Uh, you immediately think of John three sixteen, and what does that say? For God so loved the world. Not the people in it. For God so loved the world. For God so loved what he created. Um, the world, the word that is used for a world there is cosmos. cosmos. Mm-hmm. A lot of scholars will say that it is used for uh, the word people in other parts of the Bible. And that's how it's translated sometimes. But that's not one of the main definitions of the word. And especially later on in John 3, there is a word that says that is mainly translated as people. Why in the world, if, if God wanted to say, I love everybody on the one on the planet. One, why wouldn't he have word. more than one verse that apparently says that? <laughs> right. Not on, yeah. What, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, doesn't make any sense. And, right. and, and, and so the, the, the distinction here, right? Like obviously yeah. God 
has a general, what's called the general equity towards mankind, right? It says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God, God has a measure of grace and mercy that he's given to every single human being in as far that he's let them live at all for any reason whatsoever. I was talking about this with the, the youth, um, for, um, the, uh, made a winter retreat and we were going through attributes of God. Then I talked about grace and mercy and so I, I, I talked about the new God's grace and mercy towards believers, but then I also talked about God's grace and mercy towards non-believers. And when you really think about it and you understand, first and foremost, the depth of all of our sin and rebellion against God, it is a grace and a mercy that God even gives us one single breath on earth before he immediately sends us to hell for all eternity, right? That one breath is more than we could ever possibly deserve on this planet because of how sinful we are and how depraved we are. And and we constantly sin. We constantly disobey God with everything that we do. And it is a grace and a mercy that God lets people get 60, 70, 80 years on earth yeah. living. And we, we can all agree, right? That, that earth is better than hell, right? So like even yeah of course earth sucks sometimes right like it's, it's a horrible place to live sometimes there are horrible things that happen but everyone would rather live on earth than in hell and so god giving every single human being some amount of time on the earth is immensely gracious and merciful but it's all this all has to be filtered first the first thing that has to come up on top of this right is who god is and who we are so because we are sinners, because Adam sinned and we, we joined him in that sinful rebellion with everything that we do, right? That is the basis for us saying all of these things. And that's why scripture says all of these things. That's why scripture teaches all of these things. If we start off with this view that humanity is good, then of course none of this makes any sense, right? You're, you're going to look at what I'm saying and being like, Caleb, you're a, you're horrible. Like, how can you say this about God that he would, he would like that there's a mercy that he lets anyone have a one breath. What are you talking about? That sounds like a horrible God, but you just don't get it. You don't get who we are as people, right? Even, even now as Christians, we still sin all of the time. We're horrible. And God created us. Who are you? Oh man. To say to the potter, do you know what, what he wants to do with the clay that he's made, right? So like that, that's where we have to start. Like we aren't good. And the fact that God is so good to us, even if he never saves us from our sin is worth it is more than we deserve and should give us cause to praise him. And that's why we can be held accountable on the last day for all the things that we did. And then we didn't praise God with our lives. So, yeah. So, anyway. so the challenge is to find verses where the Bible says that God loves every person yeah. and then to challenge you to look at the verses that says God loves or, um, or, or God, um, when it talks about God's loves towards people, who is he talking the context. to? Yeah. yeah. Who is he talking to? You, you look in, in Romans eight, uh, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are what in Christ in Jesus. Christ. And the entire chapter is just about talking to Christians. Okay. You'd go to any type of chapter like that. And, and where it talks about God's love, figure out who it's talking to. And it'll give you a much better picture about what's going on. Yep. Um, that's something we all had to come to understand is the God, the love that God has for um, Christians is different for his sheep. 
right, who will hear his voice is much different than the love he has for goats, for unbelievers. And for he people. still has love for, for those yes. people, right? As I just said, right? like he still has grace and mercy and love that he gives those yep. people by letting them live. It says yep. in, in Acts, right? Just like a very different kind. Yeah. yeah. It says in Acts, uh, you know, before this time, uh, God, uh, uh, oh crap, what's the... It's Acts um, 1730. Acts 1730. Yeah, let me let me read that real quick. Um, right? In the times of ignorance, God... Uh, no, that's a King James. I don't want to read that. It said God <laughs> yes. winks at? What? The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Right? You think about the civilizations of people who lived before Christ. Thousands, millions, billions of people who lived and died. And maybe not billions. I don't actually know how many people lived before you know Christ came. But a lot of people, right, who lived and died and were left alone. Mm-hmm. Right? God had every right to instantly smite them for all the horrible things they did. If you, if you look at any single ancient civilization, you will find so many skeletons in their closet. They were all horrible. We're all horrible. Right? But God overlooked those times of ignorance and allowed them to live for however long, right? But now, you know, with with, with Christ, now he, he is commanding everyone everywhere to repent. And even if, you know, some someone hears the gospel and doesn't repent, right? God is still giving them more than they deserve because they're still allowed to live. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's, let's keep treasured on here. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Um, so the next thing in the order of salvation is calling. And there are, there are two parts to this, right? There's, there's part one and part two. The first thing, so we've gone through the, the like before history begins sort of a thing. So now we're in history. You're just a dude or, or a gal walking along. And then what happens? You hear a person preach the gospel. You hear the words of God, right? You hear scripture. That is that first step in your personal, like that you, you're experiencing, right? This now, um, that's the first thing that has to happen, right? So you have to hear the word of God, right? You have to hear the gospel. Um, any, do you have, you guys have any thoughts on, on that particular part of that step? Yes, I have plenty of thoughts. Carly, do you have any thoughts? No, not at the moment. So first of all, just going back to that verse in, in John of my sheep will hear my voice. Yes. Um, let's talk about this. So people are always like, well, evangelism, you know, uh, let's just get together and pray for people. And you know, if they want to talk about the gospel, they want to talk about the gospel or whatever, you know, just doing nice things for people, being a light to the world, you know, that's going to have an effect on people's lives. And I just like to, I, let's just like to ask people. Is that how you were saved? How were you saved? What happened to you? Was there a niceness that was shown in your life and that's what that's what saved you? Mm-hmm. Um, now, we go to Romans 10. Yeah, that's where I was going to go to. Okay. How then... I'm sorry, let's start with... Uh, start with verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on, on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Preaching is what brings people to salvation. And God has no plan B. And then you go back into the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. And um, God brings uh, Ezekiel to a, a valley of bones. I'm going to read that next. Just got to find. Actually, it's uh, chapter 37. So the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. First of all, that's a great answer to any question that God <laughs> asks you. Uh, God, you know. That's a great answer. <laughs> then he said Why to me, you just prophesy. Tell me. Yeah, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain that they may, breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So how are people saved? They're called. Mm -hmm. They're called by God through the faithful preaching of his people. Yep. Um, and then that produces something in these people, right? So they hear the gospel they hear, hear scripture, and then, right, because it's not us doing anything, ultimately, it's just the means through which God is using, um, uh, God is doing something. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually convicts and, uh, and, and draws this person to faith, right, to, to regeneration. So if, if you're not sure about the connection we're making with Ezekiel 37 there, go read John chapter 3. Mm -hmm. where, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Yeah. And so, right, like there are, there are two parts of calling, right? So the, the person has to hear the external calling of uh, the gospel being preached, right? So that means sin. You know, you, you bring someone to a knowledge of their sin. You, you, they, they're put up against God's law. They see that they don't fit, the, uh, live up to the standard. Um, then you share with them what uh, Jesus has done for his, the sheep who hear his voice, um, that their sins can be forgiven if they repent of their sins and put faith in him. Um, right. So they hear this message and then the Holy Spirit draws them to God. Right. Draws them to himself. Um, and that starts the inevitable chain of events in this person's life that lead them to uh, salvation and 
final salvation, right? Um, and so that, right, the, the Holy Spirit here, Spirit draws them. Um, and this is, this is where we need to get into this whole idea of free will just a little bit more, right? So this is usually the place where people will say, and you can reject this, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's clear in Scripture that the Holy Spirit definitely convicts pretty much everyone, right, of, of sin when they hear um, the gospel, right? But the Holy Spirit allows some people to reject it, not because the Holy Spirit is, like, trying and then the person like overpowers the Holy Spirit, but rather because they're a goat, right? They're they're not a they're not a sheep. They're they're not going to follow the shepherd's voice because they're a goat. Um, and so the Holy what, Spirit what is, does its just his job like he always does, right? And and convicts that person of sin, and that produces a different result than the person being drawn to salvation, right? There are two functions of the gospel. One is to draw the sheep to uh, the fold, right, to the flock. The other is to condemn the goats, is to have someone hear the gospel and be condemned by it, where they know that they are rejecting it, God knows that they are rejecting it, and now then they will be held accountable for that on the last day, as long, you know, along with their other sins. And, and that is another function of the gospel that gives God glory, um, because... I mean, God doesn't, because all, because one, God doesn't smite them right then and there, right? For rejecting the gospel. Um, so that displays his grace and mercy. Um, but also, right? Like that, that's another part of his justice. God will, will, um, uh, pour out his wrath on that person for this rejection of the gospel that he's done when, when it has been graciously offered, right? Um, this, this gospel. Uh, but yeah, right. So this external calling happens and then the internal calling happens which can't be rejected because as already stated right you've been predestined and elected to salvation before the foundation of the world and so the holy spirit can't be overpowered by you right like that's that's not how this works um and that brings us into the first like visible like not visible but you know like uh where you can like i guess i should stop saying like the first of, of this uh, thing, but basically, this thing that Jesus talks about a whole lot in in salvation, the thing that changes us, right, from from being depraved to being not depraved, um, right? We are regenerated. We are born again, as it's said in the Gospels. Um, yeah. And so, so well, yeah, hold on. Before we get to regeneration, yeah, yeah. Go back to Romans eight thirty, okay? And people are saying, right, right, right. Okay. There's an yes, external okay. call. Yes. To, to people, okay? That's that's us preaching yeah, yeah. the gospel. We do that to everyone, no matter what. Whether goat, sheep, no matter what. We preach the gospel to every creature because that's what God has commanded us to do. First and foremost, because we don't know who is elect. Mm-hmm. We don't know. So we preach the gospel to everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to calling, okay, the internal calling is something that God does. You go to uh, Romans 8, verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called Yep. And these whom he called, yes. he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So some people will say you can lose your salvation. Okay. Mm-hmm. People will take like Hebrews 6 and say you can lose your salvation. <laughs> okay. So Hebrews 6 is not a very clear cut passage. Mm-hmm. Romans 8 is a very clear cut passage. If there's ever a time where you're confused about the Bible, um, you go to the things that are clear 
and you let those things that are clear that you know for sure is true and you understand it and you let those things interpret the other parts that are unclear. Now notice you let the Bible interpret itself. You're not interpreting scripture. That's bad. You're understanding scripture. So you let it speak for itself. So, and you let other parts of scripture can, you know, clarify the un- unclear parts, right? Yes. So you, yeah. So, so when it says this, some people will say you can lose your salvation. They'll say Hebrew six and stuff like that, that people can be used by the Holy spirit, but they were never sealed with the Holy spirit. They were never predestined. They were never elected. They were never chosen. They were used by the Holy spirit at the same time, the same way that Judas was used by the Holy spirit to accomplish his perfect will. And then to say, but you reject me. So you will be condemned for all of eternity. There is a very real sense in which you have to choose God. Yes. Have to repent. You have to have faith. You have to do whatever. Okay. But the only reason you want to do those things is because the Holy spirit has changed your heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now when you get to verse 30, okay. People will say, well, you know, some people can be called and justified, but then they can lose their salvation. Okay. But then it closes with, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. What's glorification? Obviously we'll get to that later, but that's heaven. So if he calls specifically the raising of your physical body, right. Um, and purging of of final sin, right? Yeah. So, so we can, we can reemphasize this when we get to the end, but I think this is important to address when it comes up is God's plan for salvation starts before time existed and his plan carries over into eternity. Yep. There's never a part of scripture that he, um, that the Bible tells us that God left it up to us. Yeah. And that, that's Thank gotta goodness. be the most comforting fact ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and if you are humble enough to read these things and understand who you are as a human being before a holy God, you should be saying, yeah, if, if I had the choice, if God wasn't intervening in my life, if I didn't have the Holy spirit, yeah, I'd hate God. I wouldn't want this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want this. And that's what we have to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're good. Regeneration. Yeah. Regeneration. Sorry. Chase, Chase jumped in real quick and it was talking to me. Um, right. So, and that leads us to this, this whole thing, right? So we, Right, as you said, there's a very real sense in which we have to choose God, um, but God has to choose first, right? As he does, he, he predestines us and elects us, but then he has to change us, right? Because as we've already said, um, a, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. The flesh can only produce more flesh. It can't produce the spirit. And so God has to do this first changing of us and renews our spirit. Basically, we are born again, um, not completely, right? We, we don't have a new body yet, um, a new glorified body that's free from sin, but we are free from the bondage of our will now, mm-hmm. right? We've been freed from being enslaved to sin, and now we have a new heart, a new soul, a new spirit, which desires God. And so this inevitably leads us to the rest of the the parts of salvation because we, we know uh, or we want God at that point, right? And so the, the rest of it inevitably follows <laughs> Um, because we do the things that we that God requires of us, right? To to uh, be a saved person, um, right? Let's and, let's talk about the yeah. uh, the beatitudes in Matthew five. Okay, okay. 
you can you can talk about um, the Psalms and stuff like this too, specifically Psalm one. But uh, it says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." It doesn't say, "Righteous are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." It doesn't say, "Great are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." It says, "Blessed." What does the word "blessed" mean? It means that they've been given something, mm-hmm. right? They've been blessed in some way, and it goes through the whole thing where. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's a reference to James 4, I think. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth, a fruit of the Spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed yep. are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The reason As they hunger say, and thirst for righteousness is because they've been blessed. Because they've been blessed. How do you get around passages like this? And why do you want to get around passages like this? Why is your initial reaction, how do I get around that? Oh, oh, I know, I know. Because <laughs> of sin. Because we're yeah. selfish. Yeah, we want us to be put on a pedestal instead of God. Oof, that was a, that was a <laughs> shot. So yeah. hold, up, hold up, recover. We don't hate you. We don't hate you. Take a breath. I'm speaking to myself too. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's good. Um, just take, take this, take these things in. Maybe, yeah. maybe even if you're getting angry, just pause it and come back later. You know, whatever you got to do, just study these passages. And when, when, when we're talking about these verses, is there, is there another verse that comes to your mind that contradicts it? Or is it a thought of yours? That's what I always try to come back to is, when I'm reading my Bible, when something bothers me, is it because there's a verse somewhere else that seems to contradict this? Or is it because of a thought that I had or a, something that a person said that I'm like, huh, that, you know, that can't be right because this is what this person said. This should be the other way around. They can't be right because this is what the Bible says. Let this destroy your worldview. It'll be fun. <laughs> I'm quoting Trust you me. on that. Okay. <laughs> let me just let, let this destroy your worldview. It will be fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I should start New saying that. catchphrase of the Christian artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should start saying that in evangelism too. Hey, 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 dude, hold up. Let me destroy your worldview. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that will go over well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it will. I think they'll think it's funny. <laughs> But yeah, right. So this is this is what is happening here, right? We're being regenerated. We're being we're made we're made into a new person where we desire the things of God, right? So we have to be, and, and this is a thing that I, I tell, we've been going through John, um, the the Gospel of John with uh, the freshmen, um, and this is the thing that I reiterated over and over again. I was like, can you m- cause yourself to be born? Were you born with your consent? Right. Right, like there's right. there's a there's Some a guy in born. there's a guy in India no, who's currently yeah, there's a guy in India who's currently <laughs> suing his parents for uh, giving birth to him without their, his consent. Uh, that's a thing that's happening right now, right? And and so yeah, it's true. You were born without your consent. That doesn't mean you should be able to sue someone, but you know, right? Like you you can't choose whether or not you're born. It just happens, right? No, no baby wants to be born. Have you seen a child be born? They don't. They want to stay in there forever, right? But we, we don't get that choice. And, and it's, it, God uses analogies because they they make sense, right? God uses analogies because they are trying to make a point. And if you ignore right. the obvious fact that birth is not a thing you choose, then you are twisting scripture to please your flesh, right? 
You need to look at these verses for what they are actually saying. Being born again means God birthed you, right? The Holy Spirit gave you a new heart. You were the dead skeleton in the Valley of Dry Bones, and Ezekiel the prophet said, prophesied, and then God, with the wind, right, made you into a new person, gave you a new heart, and, and caused you to want him, right? He wrote his law on your heart. He, he caused you to obey his statutes. And this means that you are a completely new person, not of your own accord. If it was up to you, you would rather remain dead. And that is something that is true of all of us. Thank God that he doesn't let us choose that because we wouldn't choose him. We would never choose him. That's the point of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right? The reason God is so loving is because he dragged us kicking and screaming into his embrace. And it was only when we were in his embrace that we realized it was everything we ever wanted. And we wouldn't have got there without without him, right? We we were we were running the other direction, and God like shot us with a grappling hook and then <laughs> reeled us in, right? Kicking and screaming. Yeah. Shylin said God is always the initiator not merely the responder right right he is the ultimate cause for this otherwise he's not god right that just mm-hmm. it, it, right. it it defies all logic and most importantly it defies scripture being yeah. born again means born again not <laughs> chose again not you you make yourself you you gussy yourself up there you go you've done it right no you're dead you can't do anything you're at the bottom of the sea you're dead and Jesus swims down there and he drags you back up and he does CPR on you, <laughs> which doesn't work because you're dead. So he just <laughs> resurrects you, right? <laughs> you found a hole in your metaphor there. Yeah. And then I, I quickly fixed it. So Matthew 19, 23, okay. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, who then can be saved? And, and really emphasized that they were so like shook by that. They were like, wait a second. <laughs> no one can be saved. saved. <laughs> no one can be saved then if, if that's, that's how hard it is. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. He didn't say with people, this is hard. Yep. He said that, he said that for, uh, uh, a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Should they say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. With people to be saved, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So we're, we're, we're drawn to, to, to God, right? Through the power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. And then we start to see everything, right? So the, the John uses analogies all over the place for this, right? So it talks about going from blindness to sight. It talks about going from, from deadness to life. It talks about going from um, uh, deafness to hearing, right? Suddenly everything makes sense to us now because we've been given a new spirit, right? We, we've been given the law of God written on our hearts. And so we get it now. We're suddenly keenly aware of not only our sin, but also 
all of the things that God offers to us, right? This, uh, this immensity of his love and his grace and his mercy. And we realize that he's the thing we've been seeking after all of our lives while we've been running as far away as we can from him. I think right? about the song, I So Hate Consequences by Ryan K. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? So good. So that happens, and then the next thing that happens, and this is important, right? Born again, being born again happens before we have faith. And this is the analogy that I like to use. Stole it from the Calvinist movie. <laughs> um, but I, this is the one I use with my freshman, right? It's like the regeneration has to come before faith because the light switch has to be turned on for a light bulb mm-hmm. to work. The light bulb can't turn on itself. The light bulb can't flip the switch itself. Some outside force has to make the energy the electricity flow into the light bulb and then the light bulb can be lit up yes the light bulb is lighting itself right through the mechanisms that make the light bulb do what it's supposed to do but it wouldn't have the energy to do it unless it had been it, it had been provided by the switch and so the holy spirit flips on the switch we get the spirit's power right we get the holy spirit in us and now we we are we're doing it now we are we are are absolutely doing it we have faith in Jesus Christ, but we can only do it because God acted first, right? It says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us, right? There's a, there's a causality to these things. God has to act first, and then we act. We absolutely do act. We have a will. We can exercise that will. It's just that God has the freest will of all, the only free will that really exists in all of history. And he has to act as the ultimate cause of everything for us to be able to do all of our things. And, and it's only when he acts on us, on our hearts, makes us a new person that we can choose to have faith in Christ. And what is faith? Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this real fast. Uh huh. Now do in, in somebody's life, let's say, let's say, Obviously, these four things have to happen first. Now, when we get to faith and repentance, I'm okay with somebody saying they repented and then they had faith, or they were they had faith and then they repented, right? To to have to say specifically, no, you have to have faith first mm-hmm. and then you have to repent yeah. is ridiculous. Now, granted, nobody is really going to truly repent unless they have faith yeah. in God. They could have a worldly sorrow and a worldly uh, um, repentance before faith and then when they have faith they're going to have a godly sorrow and repentance and second corinthians chapter seven talks about that so i was just reading that before we started the podcast awesome so so uh that's something that paul washer said is like like just chill out on the which one comes first faith or repentance that's that's fine it makes sense to say faith before repentance but if somebody wants to whatever about it like this is this is the one thing I'd be like, y'all men, it, it, it's okay. Apparently, people get heated about this. I've never gotten heated about this. Never heard anybody get heated about this, so I figured I'd say it. Um, yeah, and then and then uh, so Ephesians two, okay. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not a result, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So to put that into that perspective of regeneration happens first yeah, and then we have faith and absolutely we have faith. This is the thing that we, that we do, but blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea here for by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not- it, doesn't, it doesn't say that only grace is a gift. It says that right. grace and faith are gifts, right? Um, it also says in, in, what is it, Hebrews, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, mm-hmm. um, right? So he Hebrews is, the, again, yeah, two. right? Like God is the ultimate cause of these things. We're still doing them. As, as, as scripture testifies, right, man has a responsibility to act. We we absolutely have a will and we act. Like, it's not that we're, we're not robots, right? Um, it's just that God has a will that's higher than ours and he's directing ours, our will. Um, and so, right, like we have to have faith and we have to repent. But luckily, because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, he leads us in that, Right. He helps us to do that. And we would, I mean, that's the thing, right? If we, if, if God like regenerated us, um, and then we were left on our own, right? God's like, all right, flip down the switch. Now just let's, let's let the roller coaster go. And then we'll see what happens. Right. We would still fail. We would still mess up somehow and then be right back where we started. But that's not what God does. God leads us in that. He helps us in that. And he guides us through every other process of salvation, right? Because of that golden chain of redemption, those who he called, he also uh, uh, justified, right? And those who he justified, he also glorified. So there's a, there's a chain here that can't be broken. If God, if God calls someone, they will be justified. If God justifies someone, they will be glorified. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can't do one and not have the other. And that goes with every step of this process um so what if we stopped here yeah i'm fine with that yeah and then um, did did a second part or maybe two three two more parts i don't know so so here's something i just want to point out real quick so we're looking at the different schemes um on this wikipedia page okay i just want to go through this real quick so the classical Arminian slash Wesleyan slash traditionalist view of salvation, okay, is this. Foreknowledge, so God knew. Mm-hmm. Looked down the corridors in time and knew what was going to happen. And then election, which is conditional. So a conditional election, not an unconditional election, which yeah. says that God chooses whom he wills. And so Despite this what that election, person has done. Right. A conditional election is, well, they chose me, so I'll choose them. Yeah. completely going against the order that first John says is that we love God because he first loved us. Yep. Then it says provenient grace, resistible as in God can try to give you salvation and you can resist it, mm-hmm. which means that our will is over God's external calling, which is preaching of the gospel. Okay. And then it says new birth, repentance and faith, justification, regeneration and adoption. That's scary. Amber alert. Yep. Got all Amber alerts. Yeah, it's in Milwaukee. I don't care about that. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, so. Then, so so adoption is after all of those things. So you have to have repentance and faith. And then you're justified. And then you're regenerated. And then you're adopted. So very much a conditional salvation even. You have to do these things. Now, what is that called? That's called salvation by works. God says, if you do these things, I'll adopt you. It's no longer grace. It's, hey, hey, orphan boy, if you go take a bath, you get dressed up, you look nice for, for me and my wife, and I'll adopt you. That's that's called taking a bath before you take a shower. Okay, and then sanctification, which is conditional, saying that Again, you can lose it. Again, yeah, you can lose it. If you, if you so, don't act well enough, 
then yeah. you can not be sanctified. So, so God doesn't keep those who are saved. God will start a job and not finish it. Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Hebrews 12 will, will yes. bring it to completion. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says Jesus is the author, the beginner of your faith and the finisher so the perfecter of your faith. And then at the end, it says Christian perfection. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm assuming it's it just means- glorification, basically. Yeah. So, so here, let me, let me say this. They don't even have biblical terms. Glorification is a word used in scripture. Christian perfection is not. Um, so even then there's purposely going away from scripture just, just because I think that's strange. Okay. But now we're going to talk about something a little weird too. There's a Lutheran scheme of salvation, which is completely different as well. It's super weird. So, and let's, and so let's talk about this. So last week we talked about ecclesiology, right? That was last week. Mm-hmm. It was missiology. Uh, missiology last missiology. week. So, so then, but, but I think I talked about that yeah. at the beginning of missiology, maybe. Um, you talked about it at one of the episodes of ecclesiology. So I talked about this recently. So let's, yeah. let's talk about this. So this is the Lutheran version of, of salvation. Okay. It's calling illumination which i'm assuming is regeneration so so uh no regeneration is on the list illumination i assume oh, would just wow. mean like you're you're suddenly aware like is this like there's like a sight that happens without actual regeneration right. yet okay so 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 i'm not sure what a calling from who you know maybe a calling from god maybe a calling of the gospel and then then you understand it and then it's repentance so i, I you know i reject my own way and then, once again, we have regeneration. So, so God says, "Oh, you did the right thing. Now I'll regenerate you." Okay. And then it's yeah, just that's so weird. It just doesn't make sense. Like, if you put regeneration after any of those things, like you're you're explicitly explicitly going against what John teaches. Explicitly going against it. That's not what John teaches. John teaches that the flesh can only produce flesh and the spirit can only produce spirit. So right. you have to be born again to be able to do these things. If right. you do these things before you're born again, it doesn't make any sense. You're, you're imposing some sort of man-made idea of yeah. the free will being able to choose between good and evil onto scripture, which is not there. It's a pagan idea, as R.C. Sproul points out mm-hmm. in Calvinist. Yeah. Um, so then... We've got justification after that. Okay, so after regeneration is justification. Um, and I think, look at this. Yeah, okay. And so so then justification. So God then justifies them. And then it's mystical union. Say don't. It doesn't have a link to. So let me, let me see if we can find out what this means. Mystical union Lutheran. The mystical union. Um, oh, maybe it's a reference to Christ and his bride. I think it's mystical union. Um, oh, I think it's just like the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and like. Oh, it also has to do with um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to do with the Lord's Supper, right? Okay. Where so you're partaking of the true essential body and blood of Christ. Yeah, yeah. This weird like consubstantiation. Yeah. Right. So, so when necessary, 
Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say necessary because I, I think all Lutherans would say it's not a necessary part of salvation, but yet it's a means of grace for you. And so here's what I just it's like really to ask. It's really weird how faith isn't on this. Because yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say too is faith isn't on there. Faith is really important to Lutherans. Right. Um, so then it says, so, so mystical union. Boy. Because they wouldn't say that's a necessary part of salvation, but they would say it's a means of grace for salvation. And I just don't see anywhere in scripture where the Lord's Supper or anything like that is a means of grace for salvation, is an added part to salvation. You're already saved. Yeah. There's just more grace. There's, I don't understand why you need to make that distinction because the Bible doesn't make that distinction. Yeah. So now you're adding to scripture. And let me tell you, bad theology hurts people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so we have this stuff that is not from scripture you are going to be held accountable for teaching and believing these things do you know what you're what you're doing if you do that if people who do this they are they are acting exactly as the pharisees acted and they are mm-hmm. doing exactly what jesus yeah. explicitly condemned you're putting a burden over people's heads that they cannot hold jesus held those burdens for us yep. we are fully atoned by jesus's blood and jesus's blood alone if you're adding these necessary steps of holiness you are doing exactly what the pharisees did and you are making external commandments that are more important than scripture's clear teachings let let me just let me just say this okay human tradition should be killed it should be killed as a part of the flesh yep okay if you read your bible and you get an idea that it's not from i'm sorry if you if you should be reading your bible so you don't get ideas from these random places. If yep. there is an idea that you have that it cannot be found anywhere in scripture, abandon it like the plague mm-hmm. because bad theology hurts people. And if you're a Christian, you should not have a problem with being humbled. You should not have a problem with being like, oh, hey, man, I'm wrong about something. All right? That's not the end of the world. Okay. Because you don't have to have extra necessary steps for salvation. Okay. Let's Let's get that straight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if God calls you to repent of a false doctrine or teaching that is not found anywhere in scripture, you should be happy to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Proverbs 12.1. It calls you stupid if you hate correction. Proverbs 12.1 calls you stupid if you hate correction. You should love correction. You should love being rebuked. Um. Okay, so then we got the last two here. So sanctification. So then mystical union is not a part of sanctification, which I think is weird. So definitely some yeah, sort of... Yeah, I, I mean, it, this, we're going off of Wikipedia for this also. Um, I, right. I mean, they they got they got the Calvinist scheme right, so... Uh, yep. Um, they got all I, of it right. I don't, as I don't, far as I know, we don't know for sure right, the Lutheran part, but they've gotten everything else right. Yeah. Um, now, now, if you're a Lutheran and this is not... Then um, please tell us. <laughs> Well, no, not only tell us, go to this Wikipedia page and fix yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and then it says conservation. Which and I'm so assuming is, again, just another word for glorification. glorification. So, so yeah. why not just use the biblical term? That's my that's my question. Is once again, you're showing yourself to be outside of the Bible when you talk about these things. And so yeah. I, I think that's very problematic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then we don't even need to get into Roman Catholicism. We all know that's there's, that's there's no reason to yeah. um well we might get into it a little bit because i mean i feel like when we talk about justification um that might 
come up a little bit because I, I really like the points that Cal- the Calvinist movie makes about the, the, the eerie similarities between mm-hmm. Arminian theology and Roman Catholic theology yeah. and the reason that Luther was making the points that he's making. Um, uh, but yeah, we should we should end here because um, I have to go give I have to go learn how to give the shot to Stormy. Oh, okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, and then also I really, really have to pee. <laughs> um and also yeah. we're we've gone long and we can this will take all yeah. all night and more so let uh, me just say let me just say so, one last thing okay that's the uh the turning point pastor so douglas and i were talking at work and he said that his pastor said this at turning point okay um he said the bible should be he said that um how to run a church right what we believe about god and how to run a church those kinds of things should match up to if somebody was stranded on an island and had no other ideas, no other anything, and just read his Bible, and then he came off the island, would, would your theology about how a church should run, would your theology about salvation, would your theology about anything match up with him? Because if, if all you did was base everything off of scripture, would you get these kinds of things? And don't make this into, well, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. You will stand one day before God. There's nothing more important than what you believe about God and what you believe about salvation. There's nothing more important than that. Now, the reason we're putting so much emphasis on this is because it is important. Let me tell you this for sure. You do not have to understand this list of things that we just went through in order to be saved. There is not, when we preach the gospel to people, we don't say, okay, you were predestined. You, you know, you were elected. You have a calling internal and external. And I'll explain those in a minute. You know, you don't, you don't start with that. You, you tell them what the Bible commands us to tell them to repent and have faith because Jesus is King and look at what he's done for you. So repent and have faith. He is a good King. That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, And when somebody is saved, then on their process of sanctification, they can figure all this other stuff out. And it's a good thing for them to do that. And it's, it's an important thing for them to do that, to understand what has happened to them. Um, to have a, a better and greater understanding of what's going on. Um, and the, the kind of the question is, if you're saved, why don't you want to know what's going on? Why don't you, you're like, well, I'm saved and now I just love people. And, and, you know, I don't need to figure out all this predestination stuff. If the Bible talks about it, you need to know. And, and even more important than that is if the Bible doesn't talk about it, you need to know. Because this is where you get false theology from. This is where you get false doctrines. This is where you get false gospels. In, in Matthew, the famous verse where it talks about um, do not cause children to stumble. It should be maybe better if you um, put, tied a millstone around your neck and cast yourself in the depths of the ocean than to cause one of these children to stumble. Okay, one of these children. What kind of children was he talking about? One of these children who believe in me. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about his sheep. Now, if you, with your false doctrine and your false theology of things that you think you know about the Bible that are not true, and you were teaching those to people, God says it'd be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck and cast yourself into the deepest part of the ocean than to cause a Christian to stumble. Now, once again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what a worse, it's the worst thing you could possibly do is to preach a false gospel. And if you are preaching a false gospel, then you need to question, am I saved? And that's a, that's a serious question that you have to ask yourself then. And Grant, we don't know who you are. Okay. If you're listening to this, 
you know, we know who Seth Snowden is, but we don't know who you are. Okay. So we don't know your story. We don't know what you do believe. We're just saying, this is what the Bible says. So you should figure it out. You should figure out what the Bible says. There's nothing more important than that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like we should have provided more scripture than we did. And that's on me. Um, cause we're kind of moving, moving fast through these. I'm going on lots of rants and stuff again, just me. Um, but uh so go test it go, go read yeah go test, test it. it go read your bible mm-hmm. and um i'm gonna link in the liner notes a good and just right now in chat um a great um uh index of scripture that go through verses that talk about all of these different topics and there you go um but yeah carly do you have any last thoughts because connor and i've been ranting a lot um not really. I mean, Calvinism is biblical. It's the way God saves people. And um, I mean, if I can, if I can come to know that as a seventeen-year-old, when the, when I was coming to know that, I was like sixteen. Um, hopefully, you know, I'm not saying that everyone is at the same maturity in Christianity, but um, hopefully more people can read their Bibles and find these things to be true. Like if, if I can do it, other people can do it. Like <laughs> it does not take an intelligent man to know about theology. It takes a yeah. researched man. Yeah. And I, and I shouldn't specify a woman, the gender. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does not take somebody who is intelligent to figure these things out. It takes somebody who spends time in their Bible and has the Holy spirit yeah and again so this is this is a matter of um this sort of stuff soteriology and and honestly any of the things that we're going to talk about um right like getting all these right is not a matter of salvation um right for the most part right like as long as we're on the essentials like we're not gonna like right it's, don't right you're not you do gonna not claim have to be calvinist to be saved exactly you absolutely don't have to understand any of this process in order to be saved you just know i'm repenting and having faith and the spirit of god is changing me yep mm-hmm. Um, but, but right, like the, this is a matter of consistency. Um, are you being consistent with the message that is being preached through the word, right? Are you being consistent with God's word? And we should all want consistency with God's word. Um, and are you being consistent with the theology that you're telling others and imbibing yourself? Because again, as we've said, bad theology hurts people and maybe it's hurting you, right? Maybe you're burdened um christian with the weight of still having to to worry about if you're going to lose your salvation or not right and i want to give you the comfort of scripture telling you that in in romans 8 right nothing can separate us from the love of christ Mm -hmm. um and 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 that's something that we need to be sharing with people right and studying uh so that we can have this consistency that not only helps us to defend our faith um in a consistent fashion um but also helps us to love people better because when you have good theology, you're better at loving people. Yeah. Um, and if you're not getting better at loving people when you're doing theology, either you're not right with your, in your theology or at the very least, you're letting it all be in here and not down here. Yeah. So um, this and is for very the people who just listen to the audio version of that. I was pointing <laughs> to my head and then my heart. <laughs> so this is very important with evangelism. If you're not a Calvinist, you can't convince a roman catholic that they're wrong biblically. absolutely yeah um we experienced this there was a group of catholics that that came and talked to us well one of them talked to us and the other group just listened 
and they talked about, oh, well, God just loves everyone. And the only people who are going to hell are those that don't want God. And God would never force somebody to love him or um, force somebody to go to heaven when they don't love God and he'll, he'll, he'll lovingly send them to hell. And I was like, where do you get that in the Bible? Because the Bible says that God hates all evildoers, Psalm 5.5. 5. And in Romans 2, it says that his wrath and fury is waiting on those who are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. God is, God is willingly sending them to hell and he should be glorified for it. And that's what I told them. And if you, if you don't have those types of beliefs, then you end up agreeing with the Catholic and you're like, why? How am I, how am I agreeing with the Catholic or with the Roman Catholic? They preach a different gospel than I do. And yet I'm still agreeing on the gospel somehow. How is that even possible? And you can't fight them. You can't unless you're a Calvinist. So I really challenge you with that, that in evangelism, it's very important to be consistent because people notice these types of things. We had people who were listening to, to us debate with the, the Catholics and being like, uh, yeah, the Christians not only were more loving, but yeah, they make more sense. And the Catholics are just all over the place. And so this is important stuff. If, if you want to be evangelizing, this is important stuff. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think um, what they were saying was technically like normal Catholic doctrine. Um, no, it was but, not. That's but just true. in general, right? Like what they were saying was it's very eerily similar to what yeah. most of evangelicalism is saying. Yeah. Um, and we need to actually know what scripture says because like, and, and this is the thing, like I, I know lots of people who, um, who, who don't believe that, um, they don't believe that, sorry. Um, they don't believe that, uh, Catholics are lost, right? They believe that, that Catholics are still brothers and sisters in Christ. And there could be some catholics who are definitively but, there are but right but the teachings of the catholic church right if we're if we're being consistent we have to be consistent with okay what is the gospel and it gets so hard to do that when you end up by default believing most of the things that a non-believer believes right yeah. like it, it's so difficult to argue for a biblical position when ultimately your found your the foundation of your viewpoint is a pagan one yeah. Um, and so we have to be consistent and we have to be able to look at people who are giving a false gospel, like just a, just a straight false gospel, like, like Catholics are right. Or Mormons or Jehovah's witnesses. And we have, have to be to able to say works, they're wrong. It's works yep. because, because it's either God does it or you do it. And, and it can't be both. And, and that is what scripture shows us time and time and time again in terms of who is um, to get the glory for salvation. Um, mm -hmm. We have to be understanding that it's either all by grace or it's all by works. Right. Um, it's not just as the Roman Catholic Church, that it's not just, just that grace is, um, is uh, necessary for salvation. Grace has to be sufficient for salvation. It has to be all you need for salvation because... If you allow other things to get muddled in there, suddenly you have a different God and a different Jesus, and you will not be saved by that Jesus. Um, if you don't understand that it's 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 by God's grace that you're saved, and not by not by works. Yeah. Um, so so let's let's close with this specifically because we really call out Lutherans. If you if somebody is a Lutheran or is going to a Lutheran church, um, you guys should call us up and and tell us 
or message us on the Christian artists or whatever and, and explain to us what, what Lutherans believe about salvation, because I feel mm-hmm. like that would be really important for me to know, especially with this whole evangelism thing that if somebody says they're a Lutheran, um, to have an understanding of what Lutherans teach so that I can very easily say, okay, this is what Lutherans believe. Is this what you believe too? And then be like, okay, well, you're not a Lutheran or, okay, yes, you are a Lutheran and this is the answer. And so, yeah, I, I would, I would very much. Yeah. As far as, as far as I know, like Orthodox Lutheran belief, because you know, Martin Luther is, mm-hmm. is pretty close to what the reformers believe. Um, it's just a matter of, so, there, there's a lot of different kind of denominations of Lutheranism and, and different. Yes. And, and you could so. go to any church. Um, uh, you, Carly said you went to a, uh, assemblies of God church. Douglas yeah. goes to an assemblies of God church mm-hmm. and like the, the difference is major, you know? So, so that's all irrelevant of what you call yourself. It really just depends on what you believe, but you can get a very general idea of what most churches think because that's what their doctrines say. So the problem is, is why do you call yourself that if you're not that? And it's pretty much just a form of dishonesty and lying because you're too lazy to figure out the truth for yourself, which I think is interesting. Anyway. So, um, yeah, obviously each person's idea of that is different. So, yeah. But yeah, we should wrap this up and we'll, we'll be back next week, uh, to talk about, um, Oh, that's, that was the last thing I was going to say. Um, Lutheranism is, is, I'm sorry, Lutheranism. Okay. So it was what Martin Luther um, reformed. Okay. But Martin Luther had a lot of ideas that were still plagued by human tradition. He couldn't find them anywhere in scripture, but it was just things that the Lutheran church just did because, oh, well, this is what we've been doing because this is what the Catholic right. church. Luther and there was didn't, didn't reform enough. <laughs> yeah. There was a process that, of reformation, but there were certain things that he never got to. And that makes sense. And, and, and so now we look back on Lutherans and uh, like Martin Luther, and we say, okay, well, he, he got us to this point. Like he, he, he started the revolution, but there were still a lot of things that he believed that were not what the Bible says. And so we've built upon that. And so that's, that's what we need to understand is, is we, we build upon the church. We build upon what our forefathers have believed and, and done. And we build upon that and we keep learning and we keep growing and we keep testing things. And that's how we come to a greater and more, more uh, full understanding of who God is and what salvation is like. Um, so, so that's, that's why we're not Lutheran is because that was a partial reformation that, that started something and it, it didn't, it didn't go all the way. So, and we're still not all the way. I, I firmly believe that we will, we will continue to grow in sanctification and understanding of, of the Bible and, and a hundred years from now, Christians, true Christians will look back and be like, hey, we believe this thing. And, and now we've realized that this is actually a more full understanding of what the Bible says. And I, I firmly believe that that's going to happen because we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And with that post mail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. That is uh, the Christian artist for today. So we're going to continue our conversation on soteriology next week. We're going to go through the Ordo Salutis a little bit more. And um, so we just finished up with faith. So we'll start with repentance next time. And we'll go through repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. We'll see how how, how far we actually get through that list um, when, we, when we return next week. Carl's, you have any 
other last words since we've now gone on for more time and... <laughs> just like we always do all right just just making sure so there you go that's it from us here at the christian artist uh you can find us on twitter at christ underscore art underscore show at facebook at facebook.com slash christian artist show and at our website at christian artist show.com we'll see you have a good week